the clock is about to strike five here in Salford. Good afternoon. How are you doing this Wednesday, the 8th of February 2022? Three, 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 three. <laughs> Do you know that's the first time I've made that mistake and I waited until, well, a week has gone by in February to make it. I can be a bit of an idiot. Ask not what the BBG can do for you, but what you can do for the BBG. Support The Richie Allen Show now at richieallen.co.uk. It's The Richie Allen Show. Broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host... Richie Allen. Yeah, two mistakes in, in, in a matter of seconds. That bodes well for the programme. Does it not bode well? It bodes well, dear listener. Yeah, Wednesday's programme. Grand, I'm not going to say it. It is still bright, though, which is nice. You can join in, as usual, via the website richieallen.co.uk. So if there is something you would like to contribute, do it via the website. I will read your comments out as we go along. It is 90 minutes from here of news analysis from your BBG with your help. About 90 minutes. Yes, had guests planned for today, but it hasn't worked out the way I wanted. But I'm kind of happy about that because there's lots for us to talk about. In any case, uh, let me flag up, I'll do this two or three times, John Waters will be back on the programme tomorrow, the Irish journalist and author, very, very smart guy and very listenable indeed. In fact, he's in court today in Dublin, is John, defending himself against charges that he breached the COVID restrictions back in 2020 or 2021. How dare he? He was found two kilometres or more outside of his own domicile. Yes, and he put everybody at risk, the, the selfish bastard. So he's, uh, he's in court today, John. Of course, I was joking when I said that. We'll talk about that with him tomorrow, and I'm sure more besides. There's so much to talk about. Censorship in the media isn't a brand new thing. We talk about this all the time. But I want to talk a little bit about GB News later on, namely Neil Oliver and a guy called Mark Steen or Mark Stain. I don't know. I just don't know. The pronunciation does matter. I, I'd prefer if people pronounced my name appropriately, correctly. So is it Steen or Stain? I don't know. But people are missing something when it comes to the Mark Steen story. Everybody's jumping in with two feet. Censorship, they cry. But there's a, bit, a, little, a tiny bit more to it. I'm going to talk to you about broadcast regulators and how they operate a little bit later. And I'll try and be entertaining when I do that. I'll do my best so that you don't nod off and disappear on me into the ether. So please don't do that. As I said, richieallen.co.uk. However, you can tweet me if you choose, but I prefer you use the website. And the Twitter thingamajig is... What is it now, Baldy? The Twitter thingamajig is at Richie. That is at Richie. I'm having one of those days. I am alert. I am awake. I am relatively fresh, and yet I have not loaded my audio into the audio bank <laughs> on my playout system. Now, this has happened about three times in eight years. I don't know what distracted me before coming on air, but something did. So here's how it's going to go. I'm going to share with you an email that I received this morning 
which led to an email exchange. And after that, I'm going to take a very, very quick piece of music so that I can load my audio. That's three mistakes, and it isn't even four minutes past the hour. Yeah, I screwed up at the start of the programme. Then I screwed up the first jingle. Now I've screwed up again. Because you're a big screw-up, that's why, Baldy. Sometimes it would appear I am. Today is certainly one of those days. To be serious, I had an email this morning from a lady. Now, none of this is verified, so keep that in mind. I can't verify this, but I also don't think it is... Not. I wouldn't use the term hoax, but I wouldn't imagine that this is somebody playing games because of the way it was written. So a listener who, who lives in Ordzel in Salford. Now, here in these parts, they refer to Ordzel as Odzel, okay? Got in touch with me this morning to say that her next-door neighbour's mother, who doesn't live in Ordzel but lives somewhere else in Salford, a 62-year-old lady, had jab number four on Tuesday morning. I don't know which jab. Moderna, Pfizer, I don't know. But jab number four anyway. Um, had a stroke, unfortunately, on Tuesday evening and condition worsened throughout the night and the lady passed away on Wednesday afternoon. So, had this exchange. The woman in question, reluctant to be identified, but says, look, this is genuine. It's my neighbour. My neighbour is distraught. It's um, his mother. So, it's too early to draw any conclusions, but the family is asking questions and the family wouldn't have a clue about jab injuries, wouldn't have a clue about the independent media. They wouldn't have a clue. But they're shocked. Obviously shocked and pretty horrified that this happened. And they're wondering if the jab has anything to do with it. I understand that there, there will be an autopsy, of course, with, with, with a death like that. And maybe that will throw up some answers. But it's just another one of these, isn't it? And I feel a bit reluctant even because I don't want to do the truther thing where you start to assign blame when there isn't a, any hard evidence yet. But look, it's out there. And... We know that a lot of people have taken ill and seriously ill and worse after having one of these jabs. So that was somebody who got in touch with me today, obviously invited onto the programme, but preferred not to do that. It's six and a half minutes past the hour. Let me take a musical break. It'll be very quick while I load my playout system with 17 audio clips. Yes, you work so hard and then you forget to upload them into your audio bank. Why? Why? Because I'm an Egypt with a capital E and that's E-E-J-I-T. My name is Richie Allen, otherwise known as the BBG and this is the Richie Allen Show which is live from Salford in Manchester from BBG Towers which is a splendid residence. Blues traveller that's but anyway on the Richie Allen Show. Lovely, we're loaded up, we're locked and loaded, ready to go. Let's pretend none of that happened and we're starting again from the start. I don't know what's wrong with me. Hey, the UK TV sitcom Faulty Towers is being revived after 40 years. Well, a bit more than 40 years. Have you seen this today? John Cleese was uh, quoted by a couple of newspapers. He played Basil, of course. He'll be returning to write the new show alongside his daughter, Camilla Cleese. It ran for two series back in 1975 and 1979, following the lives of Basil and Sybil as they tried to keep the Torquay Hotel Faulty Towers upright and their marriage 
afloat. So apparently the new series will explore how Basil navigates the modern world. I wonder, is it going to be about Basil? Because John Cleese has had a lot to say on Wokery, hasn't he? At least I think he has. Will it be about Cleese trying to navigate the, the, the roller coaster that is what you can and can't say to people? Do you, do you envisage? Apparently he's going to run a, boat, a boutique hotel in the revival with his daughter. Will all manner of transgender people be arriving at the hotel? I have no idea. Little more is known about it. But the original was absolutely wonderful, was it not? Two series and two series only. Every single episode was absolutely magnificent. Here is a snippet from my favourite episode, which I think was entitled The Builders. Basil had been tasked with having the foyer of the hotel renovated. Sybil said to him, his wife, his hen-pecking wife, she said to him, Now, Basil, you are to hire Mr. Stubbs, because Mr. Stubbs is a reputable builder. He's bonded and licensed by the state. He's a proper man. But Basil likes to try and save a few bobs, so he hired the O'Reillys, a firm of Irish builders, not known, really, for their attention to detail, not known for their precision when it comes to building. It all goes horribly wrong, and then this. Why did you hire him? Because he's cheap. Oh, I wouldn't call him cheap, Sybil. Well, what would you call him then? Well, cheapish, but I mean... <laughs> and the reason he's cheapish is he's no bloody good. Oh, Sybil, you don't exaggerate. I mean, he's not brilliant. Not brilliant? He belongs in a zoo. Oh, Sybil, you never give anyone the benefit of the doubt. He's shoddy, he doesn't care. He's a liar, he's incompetent, he's lazy, he's nothing but a half-witted, thick Irish joke. Ah, oh, hello, Ryan. How funny, we were just talking about you. And then we got on to another Irish builder we used to know. Oh, God, he was... Off! I was talking about you, Mr. O'Reilly. Were you there? I thought you were talking. <laughs> come, come, Mrs. Faulty. I'm coming. Oh, dear me, what have I done now? That and that. Not to worry, I'm putting it right. Not to worry? You've heard of the genius of the lamp, Mrs. Faulty. Well, that's me. You think I'm joking, don't you? Oh, don't smile. <laughs> Why are you smiling, Mr. O'Reilly? Well, to be perfectly honest, Mrs. Faulty, I like a woman with spirit. Oh, do you? Is that what you like? I do, I do. Oh, good. Now, Sybil, that's enough. <laughs> Come on, then, give us a smile. I have seen more intelligent creatures than you lying on their backs at the bottom of ponds. I have seen better organised creatures than you running round farmyards with their heads cut off. Now collect your things and get out. No, nobody, no Irish person ever complained about that back in the 1970s. I can't remember if that was season one or season two. That's a very American thing to say. Series one or series two. Nobody complained about it. You know why? Because it was ironic. It was satirical. Because everybody knew that the Irish were the best builders on planet Earth, really. That's why they built London, Salford, Manchester. I could be here all day long. Great stuff. Revivals are all the rage. I wish they'd bring back H.R. Puffin stuff, but there's no appetite for that, it would appear. Uh, the Fall Guy, maybe. The Unknown Stuntman, I don't know. It's probably on some retro channel anyway, isn't it? To the news then. Look, just on Turkey and northern Syria. I, it's, look... More than 11,000 people are dead there. It's horrendous. Not going to spend an awful lot of time talking about it, but I suppose I have to acknowledge it, that the Turkish president is defending his country's response to the disaster, saying that it isn't possible to prepare for disasters of this magnitude. His opponents are saying, well, it should have been, 
because the country had a terrible earthquake back in the late 1990s, which left many, many tens of thousands of people dead, right? So as I said, 11,000 people, and that's climbing, that's terrible. He acknowledged the Turkish president. There had been difficulties with the initial response. He said delays uh, are because of damaged roads and airports. It's a horrible thing and I won't spend any more time on it today. The media is obsessed with it. Draw your own conclusions as to why I often opine on why the media does this, because media, 24-hour news channels, replaced soap operas in people's homes. 24-hour news channels operate now in gyms. They are often on in supermarkets, in bars. You know this, I've talked about it many times before. And it's just an ongoing drama, this Kay Burley standing there looking sombre, pointing at the children, asking what sort of future do they have. It is really nonsense, really. 176,000 people die a year around the world, a day around the world, excuse me, a day. That's what happens every day around uh, the world. And you've got to put that into perspective. It's a horrendous thing to happen. Act of God, some say. Others say, although they offer no proof whatsoever, that these earthquakes can be engineered. Uh, Don't for a minute think I'm mocking such suggestions. I'm not, but proof is another thing, right? Okay. Well, the speaking of presidents, the Ukrainian president, Volodymyr Zelensky, has met Charles. Now, I cannot call that jug-eared paedophile apologist king. He's not my king. She wasn't my queen. But anyway, they've met, right? Earlier, before he met the jug-eared one, Zelensky addressed Parliament during his first UK visit since the invasion of Ukraine by the dastardly Russians. He wants, what does he want? He wants fighter planes. He wants more money. He wants lots and lots of money to keep the charade going, basically. Now, the UK announced it will begin training Ukrainian forces to fly NATO-standard fighter jets. When he concluded his speech, Zelensky said he hopes he would soon be thanking the UK for providing planes. What does Rishi Sunak say about that, the current puppet prime minister in London? Well, he said he has asked the Defence Secretary Ben Wallace to investigate if jets, or what jets even, the UK could potentially give to Ukraine. But he says this is a long-term solution. Freedom will win, says, said Zelensky, addressing the MPs, adding the UK was with his country on a march to the most important victory of our lifetime. He singled out Boris Johnson, who was there, appraising him, saying that the former Prime Minister had united others when it seemed impossible. Don't forget that Boris Johnson recently visited Ukraine to urge them to join the European Union. It's a farce. Of course it's a farce. Now, Andrew Marr of one time of the BBC, long-time BBC BBC presenter, these days is working at LBC, LBC. He compared Zelensky to... Nelson Mandela. I was standing surrounded by sort of parliamentarians and we were talking about previous such events because, of course, the last time this hall was used in a big way was for uh, the funeral of the Queen. Mm. Um, But going further back, Obama addressed both uh, houses of parliament there um, and so did Nelson Mandela. And it was the Nelson Mandela visit that people were uh, connecting this to. Somebody who had come seeing real suffering, real hardship, real pain and death on the front line of a titanic world struggle. And Mandela seems to be the nearest equivalent in my life. Yeah, there's no comparison whatsoever to Nelson Mandela and Volodymyr Zelensky, but I don't think I need to labour that point. 
That's kind of farcical too. If you go to social media channels, you will see that LBC, BBC, Sky, Channel 4, ITN, the usual ones, they're all praising Zelensky. All of them praising his statesman-like appearance. He turned up wearing those green fatigues. I shouldn't say fatigues, should I? Some sort of casual army look. Why didn't he wear a suit? I don't know. Again, draw your own conclusion. But this afternoon, LBC Radio Sky, they interviewed Ukrainians who are now living in the UK, so expat Ukrainians, all saying how wonderful Zelensky is. It's propaganda. It's just relentless propaganda, you know. And as for Andrew Marr, do we think that he knows what happened in Ukraine in 2014, the overthrow, the coup of Viktor Yanukovych? I would say, and this is just my opinion, of course Andrew Marr knows what happened in Ukraine. He is aware. Why does he omit that? Why does he not speak about that or speak to that? Why does he lie? I don't know. You can search me. I haven't a clue. Money, I don't know. Are they compromised in some way, these heavyweight anchors? I just don't know. But I know they choose not to tell the truth. Because the truth is obvious, right? Stephen Hall is a Russian and post-Soviet politics professor at the University of Bath. He's Dr. Stephen Hall to you and to me. Uh, Russian and post-Soviet politics at the University of Bath. He was on GB News and it was Patrick Christie's asking the questions. I'm just going to ask the question I think that a lot of our viewers and our listeners really want asked, which is, are we kind of already at war with Russia? Well, I don't think we are actually at war because there's not been obviously a declaration of war. I think that you, the UK is supporting militarily and economically Ukraine. It's not fighting a war against Russia by itself. If it was, the NATO troops would be in Ukraine, but because yeah. Ukraine is not a member of NATO, it's not actually fighting Russian troops. But this is a different thing. As we know, countries are allowed to support one another in terms of self-defence from an aggressor. Yes, indeed. The argument against giving Zelensky any more stuff, really, military equipment or support, is that it will anger Putin. And that could lead to a massive escalation from a chap who is potentially already relatively unhinged. Of course, you are a lecturer in Russian and post-Soviet politics. Do you think there's any risk of that? Well, I certainly think that there is a possibility, as we've seen some reports coming out, that the Russian elite believe that Putin is crazy. But I don't think that there is any escalation in terms of nuclear escalation, which is something that I think you were alluding to. We would see, certainly, that we need to give support to Ukraine, as much support to Ukraine as possible, in order to protect Ukraine from Russian aggression. And this I don't think is going to lead to a significant escalation on the part of the Russians because I don't believe that they necessarily have the capacity to further escalate to a great extent. And this guy Stephen Hall did go on to say that the UK should send planes. If you don't believe me, GB News has posted a clip of that interview. So he went on to say, yes, send planes. Is it just me or has UK academia been hijacked by the biggest pharmaceutical companies in the world, Billy Gates, and the military-industrial complex? Do you remember when university was full of old cardigan-wearing, pipe-smoking, anti-war lefties? I do. I went to uni not once, not twice, but thrice, because I'm an idiot. 
I remember when your university professor, he or she, wouldn't be caught dead saying that planes and guns should be sent from the UK to any country in the world. They'd be saying, stop the war, don't send any more weapons, but the military-industrial complex and pharma and big Billy Gates seem to be, well, in charge of UK universities these days. These, these days. Hawks. Hawks. Basically, lecturing students now at universities. What sort of dipstick is Stephen Hall at the University of Bath? Jesus, when I went to uni, you'd never hear a professor say, "You know, let's uh, yeah, let's send more weapons over there. Let's bomb more people. Why not? There aren't enough dead people in Yemen, in Syria, in Libya, in Afghanistan. Let's kill some more people." Oh. Do you remember? Do you remember Jordan Maxwell? God love him. What a genius. Do you remember that episode? I think it might still be on YouTube. It's probably been deleted. Well, it, it, it was deleted because my original YouTube channel was deleted. But he gave a brilliant, almost a lecture on this programme about how when, when we think that war and selling weapons to governments to destroy, you know, smaller countries and ethnic cleansing and all of this, and we think, you know, military-industrial complex. And Jordan gave this wonderful speech about how in his opinion, it's basically sacrifices to the gods. Do you remember that? I must dig it out because I do have the MP3 somewhere and play it after a show sometime soon. It's a magnificent bit of radio, not because I was involved, not at all, but because I shut the hell up and listened to him. It was very good. Imagine that, yeah, send more planes, yes. Anyway, Richard Barron is a former UK commander of UK Joint Forces. He was on the radio too this afternoon. And he says, whatever happens, this will go on for a long time after the war ends. Maybe we're looking at Cold War 2.0. He doesn't say that. You'll hear what he says now. When the fighting stops, two things are absolutely certain. One is Ukraine will be somewhere close to a trillion dollars worth of smashed about and will need a major reconstruction effort. And secondly, Russia will blame its lack of success in Ukraine on the fact it wasn't fighting Ukraine, it was fighting NATO. And Russia, exactly as Andrew Marr described, will be uh, bitter, angry and aggressive. And we should recognise we are locked in a confrontation with Russia for the foreseeable future, whatever happens in Ukraine. And this is why the parallel debate in the UK about our own defence review, which the government is dealing with now, has to result in the revitalisation of our own armed forces to put us in step with the rest of Europe. What a hawk. What a bastard. What a rat bastard Richard Barons is. This is going to go on for a long time, this conflict with Russia, so we better get our own military in order. Let's build our military up again. Let's spend billions on buying weapons of mass destruction, unimaginably evil machines. Let's do that. Let's stoke up some friction with Russia. Let's keep it going forever while we build our military machines, while the people of the UK starve. Let's do that. Not a, Nothing from the presenters, you know. Nothing. Not even a, well, hang on there, Richard. Why don't we get involved in a way, in such a way that we try and broker some sort of a deal, you know, to stop the death and the destruction, Richard, so that we can just stop this shit, like, and we can get back to some level of normality. The Hawks go on these programs, making their threats. We have to build our military. And the hapless, useless, dickless, titless presenters just sit there and grin and don't challenge them. Isn't it wonderful? 
And this is amazing. I don't believe in coincidences. Maybe you do. Well, I know you don't. I don't think you do. As we were... Did you see the coverage of the Zelensky visit? The usual shite, like. They had the cameras at the RAF airport, or Stansted. It was Stansted Airport, Stansted. And the cameras were there pointing up at the sky cause if we could catch a glimpse of the plane carrying the comedian, the clown Zelensky. Let's see, can we see his plane? Oh, there's his plane. He should be landing any moment now. And you get this running commentary. It's just such bullshit. Like, it's not news. You know, they're in the studios going, and there he is now. And Rishi Sunak ran up to him, didn't he? And gave him a big hug with his big ears on him, Rishi Sunak. Vaudeville, isn't it? Give them a big hug. Get in. Get in now to the SUV. Let's get you off the Parliament. And while this was going on, the helicopter followed the cars through the streets of London. Amazing crap, this, right? Amazing. Just absolute crap. And while this was going on, before he got to Parliament, this is what I mean by, I don't believe in coincidences. Coinkydinks. I don't believe in coinkydinks. Um, a news story emerged this morning saying... All, all UK media, right, all points bulletin, uh, there are strong indications this morning that the Russian President Vladimir Putin, well, decided to supply the missile that downed the flight MH17 in 2014, and that's according to investigators there. Wow. Amazing. Zelensky's flying in to beg for weapons, to beg for planes, to beg for money, and the UK media runs a story saying that there are strong indications that MH17 blown up over the Donbass region, I think, back in 2014, was brought down with a missile that was, well, sanctioned the 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 the, the handing over of the missile to the Russian-backed separatists was, was, was approved by Vladimir Putin. What a coincidence that story was running. However, this is what made me laugh. That was this morning. Later this afternoon, the filthy, rotten British media was singing a slightly different tune. You want to hear what they were saying this afternoon? After Zelensky had met Prince Charles, or whatever his name is, and then flown back out to Kiev, this is what they were saying. Well, international investigators say they don't have enough evidence to resume their inquiry into the shooting down of flight MH17. Ah, they don't have any evidence now to resume their inquiry. But this morning, just as Zelensky was landing, you were telling us, basically you were telling us that it was Professor Plum in the conservatory with the fucking candlestick. You knew exactly who did it. It was Vladimir Putin. But now Zelensky has gone back to Kiev, or Kiev. Now, well, we don't have enough evidence. Over eastern Ukraine. The aircraft was hit by a Russian-made missile in 2014, killing nearly 300 people on board. Dutch prosecutors said there were strong indications that Russia's leader, President Vladimir Putin, decided to provide the missile to Moscow-backed separatists. Our correspondent Anna Holligan sent us this update from The Hague. Listen. What we've just heard is the strongest evidence to date that President Putin was directly involved in giving the order to supply military support. Right, we've heard the strongest, she's at The Hague, right, strongest evidence to date that Vladimir Putin gave the OK to pass this missile on. Just keep listening. This is beautiful. The military support that was responsible for shooting down Flight MH17 in July 2014. So what we've just heard inside uh, the Eurojust headquarters here in The Hague from the international team of investigators were 
telephone conversations, uh, tapped phone conversations between Russian officials and separatists in Ukraine asking for the extra support. Uh, the Russian officials said that decision had to be made by the president and the decision was delayed by a week because the person involved, the permission was required from somebody who was at a summit in France. And of course, uh, during that time in June 2014, President Putin was at the D-Day commemorations in France. So the investigators have said that this is uh, concrete evidence and yet it doesn't go far enough to identify the president. It doesn't go far enough to identify the president. We have some phone taps of some Russian officials talking to the separatists in the Donbass region and they, and they asked for more support. And Vladimir was in France at a D-Day thing. Um, we have no evidence whatsoever that Putin okayed the transfer of the missile. As being responsible, uh, enough evidence to, to bring charges against him or indeed uh, members of the missile, the crew who were manning the missile at the time. We have no evidence of anything happening whatsoever. And so therefore, they have just said the investigation is suspended. Uh, relatives here have told me that uh, they have mixed feelings. They're positive that uh, there is more evidence against Putin and disappointed that further suspects have not been identified. This is pure horse shit, this, isn't it? Anna Holligan reporting there from The Hague. Yeah, Anna from The Hague. All morning... Putin gave the order to give the missile to shoot the plane down. Investigators are certain of it. This afternoon, eh, there's no fucking evidence whatsoever. Let's move on. Let's get Jerry, the sports guy, in. Jerry, yes, Leeds travelled to Manchester United this evening. This is how it works. Crap. All morning. As Zelensky came in to get the weapons, the helicopters, the planes, the bazookas and everything else. Well, that Vlad is one hell of a bastard. He gave the missile to shoot the plane down. Later on... No evidence. Now, I, I'm not saying he didn't because I don't know, but I'm a journalist, so I, I tell the truth. I don't know. Maybe he did, but there's no proof that he did if you catch my drift, dear listener. Yeah. The Richie Allen Show is the most listened to independent news radio show in the world. That's a fact, Jack. I'm Richie Allen, the BBG, 27 minutes to 6 o'clock this Wednesday, and this is John Waite back with lots more in three and a half minutes. John, wait on to missing you. Bono of U2 is one creepy little bollocks, isn't he? So US President Joe Biden delivered the State of the Union address last night. Did you see Bono sitting there alongside Pelosi's husband? I think the guy's name is Paul Pelosi. Did you see the state of Bono, did you? <laughs> oh, God. The absolute state of Bono. He looks like the living dead, the rise of the living dead. So he's sitting there. He looks worse than Nancy Pelosi. I don't know how that's possible, but but he does. And the, the media was focused today on the fact that Jill Biden, who's Joe Biden's wife, the first lady, kissed somebody on the lips. Was that, perchance, Kamala Harris's husband? The, the second gentleman? Is that right? Give a big old smacker. <laughs> and that's been... Uh, that's doing the rounds of the media today, but Bono, what a creepy little bollocks. Apparently Bono is there because of the work he has done on combating AIDS in Africa by lobbying successive US presidents to spend money on things like antiretroviral drugs and vaccines and stuff. Bono and Billy Gates, well, they're great mates. I'm not saying that Bill Gates is evil now, but I've noticed that 
at certain times when you say his name, something strange happens. I'm not saying that, say, Bill Gates. Yeah, you see, that's, I didn't do that. That is not me. And I'm going to post a video of me not doing that here in the studio. I'm not touching the desk. I'm not touching a fader at all. I'll just say it again, right? The, the man behind Microsoft and now the biggest contributor of all to the World Health Organization, Bill Gates. The devil incarnate. The three sixes on the crown of his head. Billy Gates, that's just childish. Let's stop that messing around. And let's turn to ecumenical matters. Ecumenical matters. Sandy Toxvig. I'm struggling. Sandy Toxvig is a gay lesbian woman. And she's lived in Britain for many, many years. And some people think she's funny. I think, um, I don't know, I think hemorrhoids are funnier than Sandy Toxvig personally. She was on a show many, many years ago, a panel show, and I can't remember the name of it. So help me out. It's how she became famous. She's done radio and stuff. Well, she's a gay lesbian woman and is not happy at all that the Church of England will not change its stance on same-sex marriage. And Sandy Toxvig reckons, Sandy Toxvig, that because the church won't change its mind, well, this is leading to unnecessary suffering for gay and lesbian women in the church. She's a patron of Humanists UK, and she says she's concerned about the effects on the mental health of the LGBTQ plus community because the church won't marry gay people. Sandy Toxvig. So what we have is two very polarised sides of this argument. The problem is there's only one side that is impinging on the lives of others, and I'm afraid the very conservative people who interpret the Bible with less love than I would hope... Less love... Interpret the Bible with less love than she would hope. um, ...are causing severe mental health problems for the LGBTQ+. Uh, community. The figures are shocking. It's four times, I think, that uh, more likely for a young LGBT person to commit suicide or attempt suicide. Not because they feel bad about who they are, but because of the way society stigmatises them. Bollocks. Absolute bollocks, right? I don't believe that. Uh, sorry for the, for, for, the, for the quietness, for the low level of that volume. I couldn't do anything about that. I've just grabbed that just momentarily from the BBC. A bit unprofessional of me, but I didn't have time to drag it out earlier. So she says that uh, this is having a profound effect on LGBTQ plus 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 Christians, that the church just won't marry these people inside the church. Okay, so this is uh, this is big because the church the, the church's synod or synod is meeting today to vote on bishops' proposals to adopt blessing prayers for same-sex couples. This is what you call a compromise. We're not going to marry the gays because we can't, because God says we can't, and that homosexuality is a sin. But these are the times we live in. Maybe they can get married somewhere else, and then we can bless them. We can bless their little cotton socks and bless their unions, right? Okay, so they're meeting to discuss this today. Let's get a bit of commentary. Uh, Jane Ozan is another gay lesbian woman and a member of the Synod, or the Synod, and she spoke with GB News about this. Here is Jane Ozan. This is quite interesting, I think. What sort of impact do you feel that the Church of England's stance on same-sex marriage has had on the LGBT plus community and their relationship with um, people of faith who just happen to have different sexual uh, orientations? 
Well, so many of my LGBT friends are absolutely angry with the church. They've suffered quite um, painful rejection by their friends and their family. They believe God hates them. They believe the church judges them. And you know, it's, Ray, it's not just them. The church does judge them. It's in the scriptures, love, isn't it? It's their friends and family too who feel deeply upset that they cannot celebrate their love in church. And we see that in the latest census figures where we can see that, you know, people are leaving the church in their droves. They think the church is hypocritical, out of church, and doesn't stand for the one thing that God is, which is a loving God who accepts us just as he has created us. No, he doesn't, though. God doesn't accept you as he has created you. He gave you a set of laws, <laughs> if God exists. And I don't know that he does, and I do not agree with the church. I don't agree with the Bible that gays are committing sins. I don't believe that, the gay men and women. When I say gays, it sounds a bit derogatory, doesn't it? And of course, I don't mean it to. So I don't agree with them, but I'm objective. And this is what they believe. They believe in God. They believe that these texts, these Bibles and Torahs and Korans are the word of God. And it clearly says that it's a sin. The reporter asked Jane a very good question. Why don't you just feck off to another church that will marry you? Well, personally, because it's my home. So many of us, we grew up in our churches. You know, it's not a concept. It's a place where we meet with our friends and family. It's where we belong. And yet we, sadly, are made to feel second-class citizens. But the other bigger issue, actually, is that it's the established church of England. It is the state official church that should at the moment should serve everybody but at the moment only serves the lucky gene club who happen to be heterosexual the lucky gene club who happen to be heterosexual are you happy to be in the happy gene club i know my friend john rorty john is gay how are you doing john i know you're listening john i stalk you on twitter i love those civil war reenactments i must send you a message um but um john is not in the happy gene club and some of my closest friends from back home who are gay, they're not in the Happy Gene Club either. We're in the Happy Gene Club, are we? You and me. It's great to be straight, isn't it? It's great to be straight. Going to get a t-shirt printed up. It's great to be straight. What else? And I know Parliament, in particularly, are very concerned about this now and are, are looking at the Synod to see whether it will uh, become a place where all are welcome and all are served or whether it's just a few. Mm. We're going to leave that one alone today. God says it's a sin. That's what it says in the scriptures. People believe the scriptures, the Bible, as I said, the other uh, holy texts, the word of God. Don't ask them to change for you. <laughs> Don't ask them to change for you. It's over to your comments now. You can comment on the programme, by the way. It's richieallen.co.uk. It's quite simple. Go to live comment and leave a comment for me there. The Richie Allen Show relies on your support. Visit richieallen.co.uk and make a financial contribution today. Now I can tell you that an application or an app is being created for the programme. It'll be available in a few weeks' time. Not, not a month, but a few weeks. It'll be available on the app stores. That'd be Google and Apple, I think. iOS, I haven't a clue. But it'll be very, very smart, very neat and free, obviously. And you'll be able to, if you like, if you use a smart device, and we all do, don't we? We deride them, we decry them, we lambast them and what the, what it is they do. But most of us do have one, at least a phone anyway. So you will be able to get a Richie Allen Show app and it'll be all bells and whistles 
And that's good. Thank you for your support, because without your support, we wouldn't be able to do stuff like that. Always moving forward. Onwards, we say. Your messages. Hi to Elizabeth, who says the additional equipment will not help defeat Russia, because Russia has more than 12,000 tanks. Ukraine is 500. Sending a couple of hundred more tanks isn't going to help since the war is being fought on the ground. Russia's army has one and a half million soldiers. Ukraine, less than half a million. Russia has not used planes, from what I've read, so the only chance of beating Russia would be to involve the US and shock and awe tactics. God help us all if they uh, don't start negotiating. Thank you. Appreciate that. And Brambo said something about Noam Chomsky. Uh, he got Mars number signally a few years ago when he told him that he wouldn't have his job unless he was happy to operate within the accepted Overton window. And then Brambo says, but we need more people like you to be alert. Um, to be to be alert uh, to what? To what's going on? Uh, thanks, Brambo. Hey, listen, when you, when you write a comment on, on live comment, can you, can you read it out loud before you post it? And then if you read it out loud before you post it, you'll get an idea as to whether or not I'll be able to read it out loud. Okay. Hey, Brambo, thanks. Appreciate that, by the way. Hi to Caroline. Hi to Alice Cooper, who says, Faulty Terrors, the new series will see actor Rob Reiner, his wife and actress Michelle Reiner, director and producer Matthew George, and Derek Rossi act as executive producers. Reiner is very woke, so, so God help us says Alice. I don't know much about that, but thank you. Craig says, isn't it curious that we hear the Hawks promoting the idea of improving our own military within a week of Tony Blair saying that health security is national security? Yes. And Chris, I can't read your comment, pal, because it's ten lines long, but thank you for it. Keep them short, people, so I can read them. This is live radio, you goons. Do you understand? I have to read this shit. <laughs> so think about reading them out loud before you send them to me. Or Mark, if they're not for me, and it's something you want to share with the with the forum, just mark it as not for air or something like that. I should have said this previously. I can't read this stuff. It's like six, sometimes ten, twelve lines. I can't read all of that out. Nelly says, I like Faulty Towers with the American... Ranting on, this is the guy who asked for the Waldorf salad. Bust your ass, Faulty. I remember, remember that guy. He was ranting on about how awful Faulty Towers was and how he's never visited such a diabolical hotel. Then the Major interjects, saying, No, 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 I won't have that. There's a place in Bournemouth. That's right. The Major. I saw an Indian once, Faulty. Eh? At the Oval. Yes, I remember the Major. You'd never get that stuff passed today. Can you imagine trying to get an episode of a sitcom passed today where the Irish were being denigrated in a humorous way as being a bunch of thick mix? It would never get passed. And why not? It's funny. Why not? Pass it. Put it out there. But no. Marcus says, Happy birthday to Justin. Amazing to find out that he loves the show. Marcus, I don't have a Scooby-Doo who Justin is, but thanks and happy birthday to Justin. Thanks to Faisal for your comments and to everybody else it's time that I moved on because it's already 11 minutes to the top of the hour. I'm a kind of a share-everything guy and I'm told often by the oft-mentioned misses I shouldn't. I should keep some things, some things um, to myself, but I don't. 
I was thinking about sharing something there and then I decided against it. So I'll give it a bit of thought and maybe I will a bit later on. Hey, listen, let's stay with ecumenical matters for the moment, shall we? Because the Church of England, the much lambasted Church of England today and this week is considering whether to stop referring to God as he because questions have been raised about whether gender-neutral terms are appropriate. Uh, Some priests are raising this point. This is not new. This has been going on for many years. Some who follow the Christian faith, some who attend the seminaries have been saying, well, look, if God is omnipresent, if God never was never born, if God was always there, if God is an energetic being, maybe we shouldn't refer to God as he. Maybe, you know, what do you think there? Maybe, yes, lovely. Right? This, this has been explored by two commissions. There's a new joint project. Some people don't like this. Some people think this is wokeism. The project to look into this has been launched in response to a question asked by the Reverend Joanna Stobart, vicar of Ilminster and White Lackington in Somerset, right? So she went to the Synod or the Synod and said, let's look into this, whether we should use more inclusive language in our services and whether we should refer to God in a non-gendered way. Now, everybody thought about this today. Everybody thought about this. Straight away, you think of our father and how you would, how you would, how you would read or say the Our Father? How would you pray in the Our Father tradition? Would it be our spiritual being? Would it be our most holy person? Would it be our non-binary who art in heaven? Anybody's guess, right? So they're talking about this today. Reverend Dr. Ian Paul told The Telegraph that any change would represent an abandonment of the church's own doctrine. He said it would mean moving the doctrine of the church away from being grounded in the scriptures. But again, there have been calls to stop referring to God as he, him, and our father for many, many, many years. In fact, decades. Right. Okay. Now, this made me laugh, right? James O'Brien at LBC is the most ridiculous human being that ever sat behind a microphone. Ridiculous because he has no sense of himself, no idea of how ridiculous he is. He is the incarnation of David Brent and Alan Partridge rolled into one. This is not me being spiteful or unkind. This man is absolutely, astonishingly ridiculous, right? In how he operates on a day-to-day basis to present himself as being the most worthy human being operating in UK media today. And he got an excellent example today to demonstrate how worthy and how virtuous he is because on this topic of whether we should use gender-neutral language to refer to God, well, he was lucky because a vicar based in Bournemouth rang in, maybe from that hotel referred to by the major. A vicar rang in to James O'Brien's show to talk about this and, well... Shirt is only gas, so it is. Well, about about eighteen months ago, uh, when we rewrote our main uh, Sunday morning communion service, uh, I have uh, written it as a we de gender God. Oh gosh! Uh, so. Oh gosh! Oh gosh! Says James O'Brien. The guy says I've rewritten our communion service and made made the service changed the words for a de gendered God. James O'Brien is delighted. What an opportunity to show your virtue. In communion service, uh, I have uh, written it as a, we de-gender God. Oh, gosh. Uh, so, oh, gosh. Oh. Really? So we, 
the, yeah, the, the only the only stop it stumbling point has been the Lord's Prayer. Yes, and, and that we haven't changed that. Um, our Father. So, yeah, exactly. So wherever possible um, in our order of service, we do not refer to God as He or That's she. A, this is a beautiful contribution because it's, this, a, this it's a beautiful contribution, says James O'Brien. This is beautiful. We're doing the communion and we're not referring to God as He. We've left the Our Father alone, but, but this is beautiful, says James O'Brien. God as He or That's she. A, this is a beautiful contribution because... <laughs> Because this is sort of incremental and sensible. It's incremental and sensible, he says. And and I understand mm. why. I mean, partly because if you did change the words of the Lord's Prayer, you'd probably be in the Daily Mail tomorrow. Yeah, you? James O'Brien is the only man in history to ever jerk off to his own beard, the reflection of his own beard in, in his dressing table mirror. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not yeah. joking. I bet you would be. I, uh, I could, vicar I, I in Bournemouth, woke, woke <laughs> Bournemouth vicar rewrites Lord's Prayer to say our deity or our God who art in heaven. <laughs> um, but also because it's quite a big change for people to, to, to take um, it, overnight. It yeah, and, and I think this is what we've got to remember is that, um, and I tell my congregation time and time again, you know, that the Bible was, uh, uh, first of all, uh, oral tradition uh, read by men or given by men read by men written by men read by men given by men to other men for a male audience <laughs> it was then written by men written by men for a male audience hmm. so of course it has a male perspective yeah because God was a rotten sexist misogynistic hateful bastard wasn't he he never he never delivered any of his teachings to women it was almost to men women didn't exist according to God no he, he delivered his his laws, his rules for a happy life, his his blueprint to getting into heaven delivered to men. That's right. Mm. Uh, mm. You know that that is just it. And so we've got centuries of people being brought up with knowing nothing other than God being He. Right. Where does this go? Um, and our language falls very, very short. It does, doesn't it? Being able to not the, long, the language falls short. It does, doesn't it? Says James O'Brien helpfully. Describe God as either he or she. Yes. He's delighted. Yeah. He, he can't contain himself. Yes. So I'm. I'm. I'm yes. Yes. Very, very much. So you're ahead of the game. Of you're ahead of the game on this one. You're ahead of the game on this one, priest. <laughs> Well, something like that, yeah. But, but but I also think that, um, you know, what it doesn't take into account is people's relationships. You know, where somebody's had a tough relationship with their father. Yes. How can they... Hang on a second. You're not going to say that if somebody has a difficult relationship with their father, they're going to be triggered when they are in mass. There's a lot to be said for a good mass, isn't there? They're, they're going to be triggered when they're in mass. When they hear the term father, is he really going to say that? Relate to a loving God. Hang on, let's go back about 15 seconds. This is great. Father, yes. how can they relate to a loving God <laughs> who we're calling father? When potentially, you know, they might have had a damaging relationship with, <laughs> with their father. <laughs> yes, of course. And yes, of course, there's James O'Brien. The bearded one, of course. If there's ever a reason to change the language and to degender God, that is it. How many congregation members had a negative relationship with their father, and we never knew that when they went to mass, there's a lot to be said for a good mass. When they went to mass, they were triggered, 
and upset and isolated because of the term our father. And, and the, the idea that this is the paragon is... The paragon. Do you hear this prick? I'd love to get a hold of him. Is, is, mm. is doubly hurtful then to them, this idea. Absolutely. So, yeah. you, I mean, you could say protector, creator. There's Doubly hurtful to them. They've had a bad relationship with their father. They might have been... You know, my, my father, dear listener, as he was... My my long-time listeners know this, and this is true, and I say this with absolute humour. This was all dealt with a long time ago. I don't remember when my father wasn't kicking the shit out of me when I was growing up. He was a brutally ugly, evil bastard, and he's dead now. When he died, I felt nothing. I didn't feel good. I didn't feel bad. I didn't not forgive him. I didn't forgive him. I just moved on. I hadn't spoken to him for 25 years. I didn't give a shit. He battered me in ways that, well, belong in horror films, right? But you know something? I used to be sent over to St. Paul's um, in Lisdogan to the church on Sunday mornings to go to Mass against my will. When um, When he'd been kicked out of our out of our home, and I used to go to uh, to, to the church because my mother would insist, right? And I'd just go over anyway and I'd meet a couple of the lads over there and we'd get the Sunday papers. I can't remember ever melting down into a pool of pus and misery um, when we said the Our Father because of my experiences with my father. But maybe I'm made of sterner stuff, I don't know. There's all sorts of gender-neutral terms you could use to refer to God. James O'Brien, eh? Anymore? You can't yeah. just flick a switch and change the way that people talk. But if you come to a proper understanding of why we are minded to change the way we talk, then, then you start doing it. Yeah, if you take the re-education of dickheads like James O'Brien, like if you're minded to come to a new understanding of changing the way you talk and understanding why you must change the way you talk, these guys are... Yeah, you don't you don't achieve it overnight. You just start doing it. I exactly. I think I think this is actually sensible. And, and yeah, of course you would. And I'm I'm not yeah. surprised that you've moved early and that the the church is considering doing it on a more formal footing. Because there's no re- is there any downside to it apart from well well let's let's talk about the downside. Let's first of all say that this is a problem that didn't exist. This is another case of of the, the I suppose what would you call them. What would you call them? You know, the institutions of the state coming together, and not just the state, the institutions, the the religious institutions, coming together to solve a problem that doesn't exist. Because I guarantee you, you, you could count on one hand, probably, the amount of people in the last 20 years, one hand, who said, uh, well, I'm not comfortable with uh, the term father and he and him when it comes to referring to God, this is a problem that doesn't exist, dear listener. You know, oh, it's it's so woke. Apart from the the, the thought, <laughs> thoughtless objections, are there thoughtful objections to this? Well, it, it's given the Daily Mail a headline. Um, <laughs> but, but aside aside from that, I mean, it's 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 not as if somebody's suggesting that we change God's gender. No, you know, no, nobody's suggesting that. This is this is just it's degendering. degendering. God. So, it's degendering. It's degendering. That was a vicar from Bournemouth who phoned into LBC Radio today. And this is the Richie Allen Show, which is a far better program than James O'Brien's program. But then you know that. I'll tell you something true. James O'Brien couldn't do this. It's uh, one and a half minutes past six. Your Richie Allen Show, live from Salford. Huey Lewis and the news. 
Huey Lewis in the news, 1985, Back to the Future was the film. One of the greatest films of our generation, wasn't it? Do you remember seeing that? 10 or 11, I think it was 11 when it, when it was in the cinema. Amazing experience. Wonderful. I was going to briefly stay with the degendering thing, but I'll leave it there because I'm with you till 6.30 tonight and 6.30 only. Extended conversation tomorrow night with John Waters, who's a, an Irish journalist and author and a gentleman in every sense of the word. John will be with me. We'll have a good old chinwag uh, tomorrow. With you from 5 to 7 as normal. And, uh, yeah, don't forget that. Put it in the diary, as it were, now. So we'll move away then from, from that. and we'll move, we'll move into another little bit of madness. <laughs> I wrote a silly article on my website yesterday about Harry Styles. I was joking. You know, they, they criticised Harry Styles. He won the Grammy. He used to be in one direction. He's now on his own. He's going in his own direction. Boom, boom, boom. Dish. And he... He won the Grammy and he said at the conclusion of his acceptance speech, he said, things like that, this don't happen to guys like me. And they went from on social media because he's a white man, you insensitive prick you, you insensitive bastard. White men have won the Grammy for album of the year 33 times. It's always happening to white guys like you. And we joked and we said, I said that maybe Harry should agree to reparations to giving some money to artists of colour who were previously nominated for the album of the year, but who were overlooked. That was a gag. Silly gag, really. A bit childish, a bit silly, right? But anywho, this is interesting because we talked last week a little bit about uh, the Trevelyans. Laura Trevelyan is a BBC reporter. She's based in America. And she recently announced that her family will be giving £100,000 to the Grenada authorities to apologise for the fact that in the 18th century and 19th century, her family or her ancestors, well, they owned six sugar plantations and they owned a thousand slaves. And Laura Trevelyan and her family believe that they should apologise to the people of Grenada for their role in enslavement, even though Laura had fuck all to do with it. Or her cousins and sisters and brothers and all of that. So the 100 grand will establish a community fund for economic development on the island. That's according to the BBC. Now, John Dower is a member of the Trevelyan family. I'm not sure exactly if he's second cousin twice removed or something. But he's in on it. He'll be contributing to the Trevelyan reparations to the people of Grenada, whom they never harmed. Crazy stuff. Anyway, funnily enough, he was on the Jeremy Vine show on Channel 5 this morning, John Dower. There were six of our um, ancestors who owned um, six, uh, part owned six plantations on Grenada. But six of his ancestors part owned six plantations. Between them. Okay, and but he was a long time ago because he, he lived from 1735 to, to 1828. <laughs> That's ages ago. So you, when you discovered this, you would have been, would you not, within your rights to sort of just forget about it? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I mean, I could have forgotten about it, but um, I was always brought up um, uh, by my, my family and the influence of my father and mother to, to do the right thing, to, to um, follow my conscience and my sense of what was right and wrong. What do you mean your conscience? You had nothing to do with it. And when I discovered this, it, it was a complete moment of 
confusion and dissonance in my head because I confusion and dissonance in his head. I suddenly thought I thought I came from this family that was, you know, my great grandfather was a Labour MP. He was very much a, um, a public servant. He believed in he believed in doing the right thing himself. He gave his house to the National Trust. Um, this is a very, um, I, I think, um, philanthropic and and uh, public service minded right. family. And suddenly okay. realizing that I'd we'd owned slaves. John, can I, I ask was you a question? Very much thr- this is the journalist Carol Malone weighing in. Thrown. All right, John, Carol, wants to speak. Let me ask you a question. You, you, your family um, was you. You were given uh, what was it? It was um, th- thirty-four thousand pounds in compensation in in exchange for you losing your property quotes of the slaves. That's hilarious. It's not hilarious, but in the context of what's happening, when the when when, when this ended, when 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 the slave trade was was outlawed, families like the Trevelyans were compensated for loss of income by the British government. So. In- <laughs> In today's terms, that's worth about three million. So, if you if your conscience bothered you so much, why are you just giving a hundred grand to Grenada? Why don't you give the full three million? And also, yes, why don't you give everything to them? While we're on the subject of your family, this has opened up a can of worms for you guys because Sir Charles Trevelyan was the guy who was in charge of famine relief in the Irish famine. Are you going to pay all the Irish people? Yes. Are you going to pay me reparations? Me as well. Is your great 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 grandfather who invented the Winchester rifle, which was which was used to kill. Thousands of Native American Indians. You're going to pay all them? Yes. That's a bloody good question, that. Are you going to pay back the Irish? Because your ancestors screwed over the Irish, took all the food out of the country and then invented the potato famine. It's the greatest lie in history, that, the potato famine. The Irish didn't starve because the potatoes failed and we had nothing else. Because we're stupid. Paddy is thick, you know. No, the, what the British Empire was doing, what the armies were doing, were, were taking everything that was edible, taking it to the ports and sending it off to the colonies around the world. That's what they were doing. That's what really happened. We, you know, we, 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 we could grow other things besides the potato, you know, and livestock. Good question, Carol. Well, the Winchester family, as far as I know, is in Laura's uh, marital family. I love that. Now, the Winchester family has nothing to do with me. That's in Laura's family by marriage. <laughs> Um, the um, talking about C. T. Trevelyan, who was involved in Ireland, um, we, we're aware that the, his role in famine relief was controversial and worthy of further examination. But we don't want that to distract from this family apology because we've spent seven years um, as a family. Jesus, what a waste of time! They spent seven years on this discussing this since we found the news, uh, meeting regularly on Zoom, looking into his historical background. And that's what we are wanting. To, I'm wanting to focus on today. Okay, John, I, know, I John, think your you family is doing absolutely the right thing. I mean, listening to Carol. This is a black woman called Shola Moss Shogbamimu, and she thinks that white people are the devil. She's often to be found on Sky News, sometimes on GB News, screaming about reparations, about racism, about everybody's racist. She's delighted. You think that the fact that Germany agreed to pay billions to Israel for the Holocaust reparations. Oh, don't do it because you know what? Their descendants who also benefit in some way from the reparations, should, you know, they did not suffer directly. Okay. What you're saying is nonsense. Right. The people who suffer from these, from these injustice, their descendants also suffer from it. No, they don't. Shut up, you tart. They do not. Their descendants, people living and thriving and working and, you know, living... In Grenada today, they don't suffer as a result of something that happened 250 years ago. It's just bollocks. 
It's as simple as that. It is exactly the time. It's uh, nearly uh, 30, well, exactly. it's exactly nearly, yeah. It's coming up for 13 minutes past the hour. It is Wednesday's programme. I never watched Mark Steen on GB News. I don't watch a lot of television news in the evening because I've spent the best part of 12, sometimes 14 hours working on this particular programme. By the end of it, I get the podcast on air, I sit back, reply to a few emails, and I spend the rest of the evening cuddled up with my little family, my missus and our canine chums. But I was aware of Mark um, uh, Steen. Is that the guy's name? Is it is it Mark Steen or Steen? I was, I was aware of him because he was showing up on social media because he allowed on his programme some discussion as to, to whether or not the the vaccines or the jabs, let's not call them vaccines, whether they were safe or not. Fair play to him. It turns out that this guy, Steen, had what they call an ad hoc arrangement with GB News. He wasn't contracted there. And he was, they were just playing a, kind of like a game-by-game basis, to use that football analogy. Anyway, the man, I think, according to some sources, I don't know, you see, because I don't know this guy, Steen, but he did have a jab or two himself, I think, maybe. Anyway, he became ill. Apparently, he had a heart attack. He was off air for a while, and then he came back on, or wanted to come back on, and at this point, GB News presented to him a contract. And the contract stipulated, or a clause in the contract stipulated, that he would pay any fines that were levied by Ofcom, that's the broadcast regulator in the UK, that if he fell foul of Ofcom while broadcasting, he would be personally liable for the fines. And apparently he's taken umbrage at this and has decided not to broadcast, not to sign the contract and to broadcast for GB News. I will say this, it is unusual, it, it isn't unprecedented, but it is unusual for a broadcaster to come to an agreement with a presenter that the presenter would pay any fines incurred by the programme. You see, the programme isn't the presenter. On television and radio, the programme is a team of people. The presenter is the front line, not to use that term, but to use that term, person you see on camera. Behind him or her, as you well know, you're not stupid, there are line producers, producers, editors, there are runners, You, there, there are floor managers, you know this. So our programme is a team. So it's unusual that the, the, the presenter would be asked to incur personally any penalties dished out by Ofcom. So there you go. So everybody's up in arms about this. They're screaming bloody murder about it, that this guy's been censored, he's been silenced, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. What I'm saying is, I know how Ofcom works. So, I would be very... And and of course, on social media, it's just a cesspit of bollocks, of nonsense, right? So you don't know what's really going on. Ofcom is interested in several things. One of the things it is interested in is something called right of reply. And I can't see how Steen and his production team, I can't see how they could possibly fall foul of Ofcom if they could demonstrate that they clearly invited the manufacturers of the vaccines to come on the programme to give their side of the story. Now, it is obvious that the... that it, it isn't obvious, but it is very likely that the manufacturers of these pharmaceutical products would decline to take up the offer 
to come on the programme. But of course that doesn't matter to you. All you need to do is demonstrate that while you've had somebody on to say they believe the vaccines are dangerous, that you have reached out to the other side to say, somebody who is a doctor, who is a scientist, this somebody reckons your jabs are dangerous, would you like to come on and speak about that? I cannot see how Ofcom could get away with finding GB News or this guy Steen if the programme could demonstrate that it had crossed its T's and dotted its I's. Now, remember, not to brag, not to be Billy Big Balls, but just remember who you're talking to. I've produced and presented at every level. Produced, you know, award-winning talk shows. I know how this goes, right? This is what you do. And I'm pretty sure that the production team working for Steen would have reached out to Pharma and said, listen, the jabs are coming under scrutiny here. Let's get you on. So I don't understand what the big kerfuffle is. Now, I'm not naive. It is well known that back in 2020, when lockdowns were introduced, the tyrannical lockdowns, which were introduced in lockstep by governments all over the world, I know that pressure was brought to bear on broadcasters here in the UK not to allow doctors or scientists to come on the air to question the sanity of imposing lockdowns. Now, now that is something which I think has been proven, that the broadcasting authority, the regulator, kind of let it be known that in the interest of public health and public safety, let's all stay on the one page when it comes to the lockdown. So don't call me naive. This This is my thing, right? And eventually Ofcom, of course, is going to try and regulate shows like this. And of course, this is the only show like this in the UK, a daily radio programme. So I don't understand what all, what, what all the... And this is why I don't understand why GB News would offer him a contract which stipulated that he would pay any fines. GB News should only be concerned that they're doing their jobs, right? You've invited, um, I don't know, this guy Malhotra on, have you? The cardiologist. Okay. If I run GB News, I'm saying, okay, now you make damn sure that you've invited Pfizer on and that you've offered them equal time. And once they've done that, GB News should be satisfied that their production crew is doing the right thing, and Ofcom hasn't a leg to stand on in terms of imposing some sanctions on, on, on the programme. Do you understand how it works? It's pretty basic. This is something when I worked in London, in television, with largely a crew of very inexperienced people. I said to them, <clears throat> we cannot allow people come on the programme and make claims about products or claims about drugs or claims about politicians unless we go to those people who are the accused and say to them, listen, we're doing this show, we would like you to provide us with a comment. It is so basic, it is almost silly, right? So I don't get this. So the thing that this guy's been silenced, this Dean guy, he's been kicked off, he's a bit of a hero, I don't know because I've hardly ever watched him. But I do know to his credit that he did allow some room on his programme for discussion about vaccine harms. Well done him. But I don't know the guy. So this is a strange story. Even stranger still is this guy Neil Oliver, who's also got a programme on GB News. He's a very softly spoken, spoken Scottish guy who used to work for the BBC. And he did a monologue recently. He, he does to camera, pieces to camera, monologues before... It's basically what I do, but he does it on TV. And he does it in a very cerebral, kind of very serious way. 
whereas we tend to have a laugh, right? I think he's pretty good, this guy, in terms of how he delivers his shtick, his spiel, for want of a better word. But again, I don't see very much of him. Now, the Guardian newspaper is reporting today, this is very dangerous, that this guy is falling foul of groups that tried to root out anti-Semitism in the UK. And this is dangerous stuff now. Because he recently spoke about one world government on his programme and about um, globalism and stuff like that and about how there are shadowy groups of people. I don't think he used the term now, shadowy groups of people. I don't think he used that particular term. But he talked about a silent war, that's a quote, by generations of politicians to take control of people and impose a one world government. Now I think he's bang on the money. And I think you would probably argue he's bang on the money too. We've seen evidence of this going back many years. In fact, it's self-evident now this is happening. And he interviewed a guy called William Keat, or Kate, that's K-E-Y-T-E, who's an expert on constitutional law. They talked about this and that's nice. But Neil Oliver now is being accused basically of anti-Semitism because the one world government conspiracy theory is apparently a trope an anti-Semitic trope and the Guardian has brought up the Rothschild banking dynasty and that um, by talking in these terms that Neil Oliver is um, you know he's basically saying that uh, you know that there is a, 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 there, there, there is an agenda to control the world and that basically that when you're talking in these terms you're basically saying saying even that it is Jews. And of course he's not saying that or anything like it because I've reviewed pretty much what Neil Oliver said. It's got nothing to do with anti-Semitism or, or Jewish people. I find this very funny and so do my Jewish friends by the way find this very funny because the way, with this type of carry-on with demonising people and accusing them of anti-Semitism when they are patently not anti-Semitic in any way, shape or form at all you might actually lead some people to think, well, maybe there's something to this. Maybe the Jews are a shadowy clique who are sitting around dark rooms trying to figure out how to own the world. Now, that's bullshit, right? But if you keep going after people for talking about one world governments, uh, trying to destroy them, and this is a, a, an attempt by The Guardian to destroy Neil Oliver, basically to destroy his career, right? You keep doing stuff like that, it's going to lead some people to think, well, there must be something going on here because Neil Oliver is not, not an anti-Jewish person. This is in The Guardian today. Jewish group and MPs urge, urge GB News to stop indulging conspiracy theories. Neil Oliver discusses plan to impose a one-world government, which we know is happening. Look at what's happening. Give the World Health Organization give them the, the running of health policy for every country in the world. Do, do we have to talk about the UN, the World Bank? You know, trade agreements between, you, 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 you know, TTIP, uh, the European Union, it's all there for people. So, this is dangerous stuff, and I'm going to leave it there. That's it for me today. That's been a, a very quick 90 minutes uh, or thereabouts for me. I hope you've enjoyed listening to some of it anyway. Thank you for listening to it. Remember that tomorrow on The Richie Allen Show, John Waters and myself will have an extended chat about everything. We'll talk about John's court appearance for not um, adhering to the COVID rules. Good man, John. And of course, much more. We'll talk about immigration in Ireland. 
and the reaction to that by communities right across Dublin and elsewhere and the demonisation of these people. We'll get into it in a very interesting way because John is an incredibly interesting man, is John Water. So don't miss that. That's tomorrow at 5 o'clock UK time. Just to remind you, this programme will have its own app and it'll be lovely. It'll be as good, it'll be as sexy, it'll be as functional as any app that you will see in the app stores. It'll be up and downloadable pretty soon. And that's a good thing. You'll be able to take the show with you wherever you go. You'll get the articles from the website if you choose and all of that jazz as well. Thanks for listening today. That was Wednesday's programme. Speak to you tomorrow, Thursday at 5 o'clock UK time. Closing out the programme today with this from Simple Minds.